but listen to her, because this is a foreshadowing of events. This is a moment where Jesus is telling us who he is and what kind of power he has. Tonight, we're continuing walking through the the Gospel of John. We're still in chapter 11. Um, We're going to be dealing with verses 17 through 37. If you want to follow along, that's where we will be. Um, And tonight, it's it's a bit shocking, I think, of a a story in Jesus' life and, and how it's dealt with. As I was preparing and thinking about what this looked like, I couldn't help but think of a tale of two cities. You know, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Uh, and that's kind of how this feels in this, this moment in time. And I, I can sort of relate to that a little bit. Have you ever had an experience that should be amazing, but everything is just the ground is crumbling beneath you, but you should be having the time of your life. Uh, And vice versa, where maybe you should be uh, just not enjoying yourself, but for some reason you're able to have a smile on your face. Now I'll tell you an example from my life. Um, Here's the thing. Traveling for me is always bad. I've never, I can't think of an experience where I have traveled and that experience has gone well. Now, the destination might be good, but the traveling back and forth is always just a disaster. Now, here's here's one example. When Juliet and I got married, we decided that we were going to take our honeymoon in February instead of October, because why not get out of the cold depths of Rochester in February? It's a great idea. And... We were trying to find a place to go that was also in our budget, and we found out, I don't know why this was recommended to us by Google when we were searching for things, but we found out that Amtrak has vacation packages where they take the, they, you can set up your hotel, you can set up your rental car, as well as your train ride down there. Uh, and all the places you're going to visit. It was this cool vacation package, and it sounded amazing. And we thought, gosh, we're going to go down to Florida. We went to St. Augustine, which is the oldest city in America, apparently, and settled by Ponce de Leon during the Spanish Inquisition. And it seemed like a really cool place. And it was. I'm not going to deny that at all. But the traveling down there... We had our hotel figured out, we had our rental car figured out, we had our train schedule, all good. Now we get up in the morning, it's in February, so it's the dead of winter, Uh, happens to be a pretty good day. We drive to the train station in Rochester, and it's not a lot of snow on the roads, we park our car, leave it there for the week that we're down in Florida. And we get to New York City on time, and then from New York City we're taking a train all the way to Florida. And we thought this is going to be great because we can, we can watch movies, we can hang out, we can just talk, we can read. We don't have to drive and it's, we're going to have this long trip. We can just hang out with each other and we'll be able to see things we would have never seen 
otherwise. We get to New York City, and as we're sitting, waiting for our train to come, there's a little notation on the board that says, one hour delay. Uh, so we're like, okay, one hour, not that big of a deal. Uh, but the, the tracks had frozen, so our train couldn't get started. And so they put a note out that said, one hour delay for the train to Jacksonville, which is where we were going, um, to get to St. Augustine. And, you know, I was a little disappointed. I've, by the way, I've never, this is the only time I've ever been in New York City. And so the only place I've ever seen in New York City is Penn Station. Um, now, I was and am a big Knicks fan. And Madison Square Garden is right outside of Penn Station. And I was like, do we have time to go see this? And we're like, if we go to go see Madison Square Garden, we're going to have to carry all of our luggage and all of our stuff. It's just going to be this big hassle. So we decided it's only one hour delay. Let's sit and wait. An hour goes up. And then a new message on the board says, one hour delay. And we're, you know, we're disappointed. It's only been an hour. Like, oh, it's only one more. An hour goes by. And then a new message on the board says, one hour delay. And this continues for 13 hours. They never tell us that it's going to be this extremely long period of time so we could go explore New York for a bit. We always think it's going to be one hour for 13 hours. Um, and we're just sitting in Penn Station, really cold. It's great. Now, by the time our train actually boards, the daylight is gone. So our entire trip, we see nothing that we were excited to see because it's dark out the entire time on our train trip to Florida. Then we get to Florida, and remember, it's 13 hours later than it was supposed to be. So the way it works, unlike the airport, the rental cars connected to the train station shut down at a certain time of day. So we cannot get to our rental car to get to our destination. So then we have to take a cab from one side of Jacksonville to the other, to the airport, to rent a different rental car. And pay, we pay for two rental cars, because <laughs> we can't get the other one, and then drive back down to St. Augustine towards our hotel. And we basically lose an entire day of vacation because of this. And so we decide to tell the hotel, hey, we lost an entire day of vacation because of all of this junk that happened in New York City. So we would like to stay an extra day. And they say, you can't. We're booked. You have to go find another place to stay. So we did. We found another place to stay. Um, and then when we were down there, it was great. But this mess, I had to spend, not only did we miss a day, but I also had to spend about five hours on the phone discussing all of this with Amtrak and trying to figure out how do we get reimbursed for the rental car we can't use? Um, how do we get reimbursed for the hotel night that we didn't use? And all of this, um, just so that we could finally enjoy ourselves. Now, remind you, this is my honeymoon. I should be in just, I should be very happy, but I'm not. It was a great time, turned out to be the worst time until we were able to spend just a couple of days there. And I was able to change my attitude around. So it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Now, before we dig into John, I want to see, I want you to see a different experience with these same people. 
Because what's happening, as we started discussing last week, is Lazarus is sick. Actually sick to the point of death. And his sisters, Mary and Martha, tell Jesus, they send a messenger to tell Jesus this, because they're hoping he'll do something about it. But these three people are well known in Jesus' story, because this isn't the only interaction he had with them. And so we're going to look at Luke chapter 10 first, verses 38 through 42, because this is a previous experience that's written in the Gospels to share how they interacted with Jesus. Now, this is the good times. This is in Jesus's ministry when he's popular and people are looking to find out who he is. They're excited about what he's doing. People are spreading the word. They think the Messiah has come. And Jesus is going to stay with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and they, they're beside themselves. This is the best of times. And so it says here in, in Luke chapter 10, it says, Now it happened, as they went, he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Now, this is talking about Jesus and his disciples. As they were traveling around, they came across a village, and Martha welcomed them into her house. And so she said, she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And so what we're looking at is these people are excited to have Jesus in their presence, and Martha is doing exactly what is expected of her from society. She is serving. She's making sure the food is taken care of. She's making sure it's clean. She's making sure it's a hospitable zone for this man. She cannot, she's beside herself. She wants to do the best job she's ever done serving someone because it's Jesus and he's in her house. And she cannot believe that her sister is not doing the appropriate thing and helping her. Doesn't she understand this is Jesus? And so she even tells Jesus, this is, I like this boldness in Martha. Martha gets a bad rap, but I like that she actually confronted Jesus and said to him, will you tell Mary to help me? And she speaks to Jesus as if he was anyone else. Will you tell Mary to help me? Now Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha. I just, I can't help but think of the Brady Bunch every time I read that. <laughs> Martha, Martha, Martha. Uh, you, you are worried and troubled about many things. Now he's recognizing, yeah, I get it. I know what you think of me. You're not wrong. And I get what you want to do. And I get that you think this is the appropriate thing. And you're worried about so many things. But one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken away from her. And Jesus is saying to Martha, he's not telling her she did anything wrong. She did what was expected. She did what she thought was appropriate 
but he's telling her all of the worries and all of the things that we think about from our day-to-day task list, things we need to get done, those might be important to us, but there's one thing that's ultimately important. There's one thing that goes beyond that, and that is a real need, and that is the Savior. And he tells Martha, you're mad at Mary for not helping you, but Mary chose the most important thing. Not that what you're doing is unimportant, but what she chose is the most important. And that will never be taken away from her. And this is the kind of relationship they have. Mary is at the feet of Jesus, listening and hanging on his every word. And that's the best thing she could do. Now, these are their personalities. Martha is kind of a busybody. She is a type A personality. Things need to get done. She wants to check them off her task list, and she thinks she knows the best way to do it. Now, there's nothing wrong with having that kind of personality unless you're too proud to be humbled when you are wrong. But we'll see those two personalities juxtaposed in a different time. Because that was a good time. The ministry was booming. People were looking to see Jesus. They couldn't believe they had the opportunity to bring Jesus into their home. This man who was healing the sick and the blind, healing lepers, casting out demons, saying things with authority that they had never heard before, and this man was in their home. But now it's a completely different scenario. Now it's not good times. Tragedy has struck. It says, so when Jesus came, this is John chapter 11, verse 17. When Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. So by the time Jesus heard the news, he waited a couple of days before he went to go see Lazarus and his sisters. And by the time he got to town, by the time he got to Bethany, Lazarus had already been dead and buried for four days. Now that's a big deal. Because at four days, there's no question. The body has started to decompose and stink. Um, there, there, is, there is no doubt that there is no Lazarus anymore. There's no mistake to be made. He's gone. And the Mary and Martha, the sisters, are in mourning. They're in the starting period of, their, of mourning their brother who they loved. And even in this time, you would basically go from, for Martha, this had to be difficult, being the person who served everybody to being the one who is served because others are taking care of you. And you sit usually in sackcloth or torn clothes, and you don't really take care of yourself. You just let other people do things for you as people are wailing and mourning in the town because someone's gone. And it reminds me of the picture of Job when Job lost everything and his friends just came and sat with him as he poured ash on his head and just sat there in silence because he's so sad. Tragedy has struck in four days Lazarus has been dead. Now, Bethany, which is where they lived, was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. 
And so people are starting to come together in the community and take care of them because they're so distraught. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was still sitting in the house. Now this time, Martha's not doing what's customary. Mary's doing the thing that's customary. They flipped the script. They're supposed to be sitting, getting taken care of, letting other people help them while they mourn. But Martha is so active, and she knows best because she's a type A personality. Instead, she gets up when she hears that Jesus is in the town, and she runs to him. Now, that's not a bad thing. That's a good place to run when tragedy has struck, is run to Jesus. And she tells him exactly what she thinks. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And she tells him what he could have done. And she's not wrong. In fact, the world thinks like this a lot. They judge God on what they say could have been done. Isn't God powerful enough to stop this evil from happening? Sure. But we don't know the consequences of what will happen if God does it a different way. We put ourselves in his position of authority, and we like to tell him what he should have done. And this is what Martha is doing. It's Honestly, it's the first lie from the serpent. The serpent said to Adam and Eve, if you eat this fruit, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Meaning, you can put yourself in his position. You'll be able to judge right from wrong, just like him. The only problem is that we're not perfect. We, too, are guilty of sin, and putting ourselves in the judgment seat means we don't have proper perspective. And she's saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's not wrong. But even now, here it comes, the request. Even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. He tells her what's going to happen. But listen to her, because this is a foreshadowing of events. This is a moment where Jesus is telling us who he is and what kind of power he has. He said, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And she's saying, yes, 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 I, I understand. I've heard you talk. I've had you in my house. We've listened to you. I know. I know there's a resurrection at the end of days and you're offering everlasting life. I get it. But right now, I don't have my brother. That doesn't help me right now. And we've been there. But she's honest with Jesus. If you have that kind of hurt or that kind of feeling inside of you, where you feel like you've been betrayed, are you holding back the truth from God so that he can respond to you? Because Martha doesn't hold back. She tells Jesus exactly what she thinks and how much it hurts and how much he's not helping. And Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he might die, he shall live 
And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And he goes into teacher mode. And he says, Martha, don't you understand? I am what you're looking for. I am the resurrection. I am the life. Do you believe in me? Because regardless of your circumstance, do you trust in me? Do you know that what I am looking for, for you, is the best? Do you know that I'm in control? And her response is, she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And when she said these things, she went away and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. That's what she needed in that moment. She needed to know that whatever happened, Jesus was in control. She got this response from him. I am the resurrection. I am what you're looking for. Do you believe in me? Do you trust in the power that I have? And when she took a moment to think about who she was talking to, she said, you are the Christ. You are the Son of God. I do believe in you. And though that doesn't take away the sting of what's going on, that is what I have for hope. And that hope is better than anything else I could imagine. And she's ready to go tell her sister Mary, talk to Jesus. Jesus wants to see you. And as soon as she heard that, Mary, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Mary was sitting still, being taken care of, mourning. But as soon as she heard Jesus wanted to see her, she quickly went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, she is going up to the tomb to weep there. So they thought Mary wasn't running to see Jesus. They thought she was running to Lazarus' tomb. But she's running quickly to see Jesus because Jesus wants to see her. But that is interesting. Because life isn't always sunshine. The weather is not always autumn. It's not always good times. Sometimes there's bad times. And sometimes we need an attitude adjustment. Sometimes it feels like you can't, nothing will go right. And in that moment, Jesus wanted to see her. Now, I had a friend um, who really struggled for a long time. And his story is tragic. His father passed away when he was just a kid, old enough for him to remember him. But his dad passed away because his uncle was standing on railroad tracks. And his dad ran out as a train was coming to save his uncle's life. And as he tore his uncle off the tracks, he got destroyed by the train. And so every time we would go over railroad tracks, we were in the car, he would remember that. He would openly talk about it. And I remember having a conversation with him 
and his struggle with handing this tragedy over to God because every time he saw his uncle, all he could do is remember that his dad wasn't there. And I remember talking to him about this and saying, I know you're mad at God. I know it seems like there's no healing from this. But if you cut God out of your life, you're cutting out the only one who can help you heal from this. I don't know what impact that moment had in his life. I don't know if that meant anything to him, but I do know within a couple of years, he was a ministry intern and helping start college-age ministries at the church I was going to and participating in them. So I know that he let God in and he let him heal. But the truth is, when tragedy strikes, Jesus wants to see you. If you cut him out, you're cutting out the one who can heal you. So when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now this, she says the exact same thing as Mary, but completely differently. You can say the same thing and it mean two different things. You can experience the thing, same thing and have two different attitudes about it. That was what I dealt with on my, on my honeymoon that I told you about. It should have been an amazing time, but I had a bad attitude from everything that was going on. And it took me a couple days to get my mind right. But in this moment, Mary runs to Jesus because he wants to see her. And as soon as she's there, she falls at his feet in worship. And she doesn't lie about the angst in her heart. She says, Lord, if, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. She knows that to be true, but she says it in a state of worship rather than in debate. So therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Now, this is not just a small cry. This is a full-on ugly cry with tears streaming out of your face. Because when they saw what Jesus was doing, the Jews said, see how he loved him. This is a real insight into God's personality and character. Because when the people he loved were mourning, so was he. It hurt his heart to see Mary hurt. Even though Jesus knows what the ultimate outcome is. He knows what's coming next. And he knows the joy that's about to be seen and experienced. He knows what he's going to do. But that doesn't stop him from feeling the hurt that you experience. It doesn't stop him from feeling the hurt of tragedy. And it said, see how he loved him. See how Jesus loves those he cares about. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Now, this is a real confusing statement because they're looking at Jesus and they're saying, this man, look at how much he loves them. Look how much he's hurt by what's going on. And then at the same time, they're saying, how inconsiderate. If he had been here, couldn't he have stopped this from happening? 
Now, this is where we're pausing tonight, unfortunately. But spoiler alert, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. That's the end of this particular portion of the story. And as he knows what's going on, as he knows what he's going to do, it doesn't stop him from experiencing your hurt. It doesn't stop him from having intense empathy. Now, some of us struggle with that. I know I do. I have a hard time feeling other people's hurt. Because it's hard for me to look at it from that perspective. But God doesn't have that problem even though he knows the end from the beginning, and he knows the reward at the end of this. And he knows that ultimately, in the end, those who believe in him will experience the resurrection at the end, and we'll get to live with him forever, without a tear ever streaming from our face. He knows this, but it doesn't ex stop him from experiencing the ups and downs in the hills and valleys of life with you. And when you experience tragedy, he's calling out to you saying, come to me, Jesus wants to see you. And he wants to respond to you. Will you be honest with him? And so that, that's the moment that we stop, this confusion. This confusion of, does Jesus care? It's clear that he does. Look at the look on his face. Look at him crying. Jesus weeps for those he loves. His heart is tender and he cares. Why didn't he do something? Because you don't know yet what he's going to do. I know right now, it feels like the world has gone dark and there's no hope sometimes, but we don't see the end from the beginning. We, don't, we might not know what the next step looks like, but what we do have hope is in a Lord and Savior who loves us that much and is looking for us to come to him when we need him. And he's asking you, to just tell him the truth. Because if you open up yourself and tell him the truth, it gives him the chance to respond to you. And I'm so glad that this falls on communion night. Because even just that word, communion, and the celebration that was happening when, they, when it was first instituted by Jesus, a group of him and his closest friends sitting around a table sharing a meal, which in Jewish culture is incredibly intimate, saying, I love you. We are like family. We're so close and we're, we're sharing this meal together. and We're communing together. And Jesus invites us into his presence to experience the elements. And so tonight, as we move towards communion, that's the invite. You might be in the best of times, and things might be going really well, and you can rejoice, and you can praise in that and tell Jesus all about it. But you might also be experiencing personal tragedy or strife or difficulty. And Jesus is saying, come here, come to me, come experience me, because I love you. Give me a chance to respond. And tonight, that's what we're going to do through communion. We're going to gather together and be in his presence as we take the elements. So for those of you who are willing and able, will you please stand as the song plays? Come take the elements, 
bring them back to your seat, uh, and then we will, bring, we will take them together. So as we approach the elements, we recognize this opportunity to commune with our Savior, to be in his presence, and to remember his words and what he did for us. When he was sitting there with his disciples, just a short time before his arrest and mere hours before his crucifixion, he says to them, as he picks up the bread and breaks it, he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. Please take this and eat and do this in remembrance of me. Jesus takes a cup and he looks around at his disciples. He even reminds one of them he's going to betray him. And that's going to cause the next few events. But he picks up the cup and he says, says about the wine, this is my blood, which is poured out for you. Take this and drink and do this in remembrance of me. Tonight is a beautiful story. And we saw two ends of the spectrum. When it was the best of times, and Mary and Martha had Jesus in their house. And also the same when tragedy struck. And at both instances, Martha was intensely honest with Jesus and ready to hear his response. And Mary was willing to just sit at Jesus' feet. Both things are good. To just be with Jesus. Not just to know about him and to understand what the end is going to look like and the resurrection that is to come, but to just be in the presence of Jesus and to know him and love him personally, be in a relationship with him, be able to tell him the truth, your aches and pains, desires and failures, and hopes and dreams, to be honest and to be at his feet that's the goal. Whether it's the best of times or whether it's the worst of times, the Savior is the same, and you can count on him. And your hope doesn't change because death was defeated at the cross. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for this story. Thank you for these people. Thank you that John, you put it on John's heart to record this to show us what a relationship with you is like, that we can run out to you, that we can be timid or bold as long as we're talking to you. God, help us to be open and honest and come to you when it hurts and when it feels great. And that whether it's great times or tragic times, that our hope is the same because our hope is in you. And you never change. Thank you that death is defeated. Thank you that our hope is in you. And thank you that you're willing to love us and walk through the hills and valleys with us. I pray that we learn to live with you and to bring our best and our worst to your feet. In Jesus' name, amen.